Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Because it's the first of the month, we're joining in all our locations together. So big shout out to Gyra, Gunnedah. Armadale and Port Macquarie as we all join in together and here in Tamworth as well. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, can you believe it's the 1st of August 2021? We're like, we can't wait for 2020 to be over. And now 2021 feels like it's nearly over. And hasn't it just like come through for us? (laughs) 2021, everything changed and it's awesome now. Isn't that right? Well, it's why it's so important that uh, the psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. If you feel like it, you can say after me, I, it's my choice to rejoice, so I choose to rejuice. That's science. And uh, you know who is rejoicing today? Horses. It's horses' birthday today. So any horses in any location anywhere, happy birthday. We continue with our Galatians series today, and uh, chapter four, we've been through Paul stating his qualifications. We've been through Paul talking about grace, that it's only by God's grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He talks about it from his experience. And in chapter three, he goes into a rabbinical argument. And today we're in chapter four and he continues along a theological argument for grace. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, I'm going to go to verse five of chapter four and feel free to read along with me if you like. It says this, It says, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we pray that everything that you talk about, everything that you're trying to get across to us in this scripture, Lord, we could spend forever and a day and we'll spend eternity unpacking what that means. But Lord, we pray for a glimpse, a revelation of being your child this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the title of today's message is, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Do, 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 do. Andy Logan in Armadale loves it when I sing. He actually just cringes every time. But I, I blame Pastor Bob. He was my pastor for many years and he was called the singing pastor because he would break out in song every now and then and it was his birthday this week. So happy birthday, Pastor Bob. I think uh, 25, 26 maybe, I don't know, sure, yeah. Yes, please give him a hand, every location, Pastor Bob. Okay. Um, you know what? God has called us his children, he talks about in this passage which is absolutely mind-blowing. I don't know if you think about this or if you take it for granted. God calling us his children. It is absolutely mind-blowing. But the problem with this is, is that we don't actually just receive that because we bring into our relationship with God as our Father the biggest problem that we bring into any relationship. And that is me. 
Now you might say, Bron, stop taking so much responsibility for all our problems. No, I mean you. Like, I mean us. We are the biggest problem that we take into any relationship. We, we bring our experience. We bring everything that we've been through. We bring all our history of litany of relationship breakdown and turmoil. And we bring that into our relationship with God. So when he says, you're my child, we don't automatically go, oh, I know what this is supposed to look like. Because we see it through the lens of our own father or our own mother or the way that we parent. He said, there's this incredible thing called bystander ignorance. Bystander ignorance. This is about newborn babies. I was reading about this. It's absolutely fascinating that when a newborn baby is being fed, whether bottle fed or breastfed or whatever, that they are actually, I don't know if you've ever um, had a bottle in a baby's mouth or or been feeding a baby. And and it's like they're drinking, but they've got one eye on you. Has anyone ever seen that? They're going for it, but their one eye is planted firmly on your face. And this is actually the point of time in which they are learning social interaction. This is the foundation for social interaction for that child. That as the mother or the parent or whoever the caregiver is gazing at that child, that they're learning everything that they're going to need to know as into the future to know what it is to socially interact. How amazing is God that he creates that connection for the child? Uh, the problem is, of course, is that we've grown up and, and uh, with technology and everything else, there's now distractions as you're feeding. So whereas maybe once in the middle of the night you had nowhere else to look but at your baby, maybe now you flick on the Olympics and you're watching the TV instead. And actually, um, scientific studies and research show that since the invention of the smartphone, this interaction has dramatically decreased that these foundation building blocks for um, parent and child, for that child to flourish in social interaction into the future, that it's drastically decreased. Why? Because the baby's here feeding, but the parent is here on their phone. And so rather than getting the eye-to-eye contact, they're getting the back of the caregiver's head. Completely different, and and it's called bystander ignorance. Now, you might have experienced some version or degree of that. I know that when the other day I was in my home office, which is actually just my desk in my room. And I thought, I usually leave the house early, Dad gets the kids off to school, and then I try to get home for them to come home from school. And uh, I, was, I thought, well, actually, I'm just going to stay in my room and I'll work early from home. I wanted to stay in my pyjamas. That's the bottom line. That's all I wanted to do. Stay in my pyjamas. I wanted to work early from home. And so I just started working. And I thought that in the bedroom with the door closed, gave the signal to the rest of the family, I'm working. No. It didn't. Lockie and Kate came out about 1,500 times to use my bathroom to ask me questions. I I tried to give them the blunt answers so that they would get the hint. And I hadn't yet seen Bella. But unfortunately, Bella, um, because by that time I'd put on instrumental music to try and block out the noise of the household getting ready. And, uh, And I had this kind of, it sounded a bit like spa music. So Bella came into the room and she hadn't seen me yet. And she goes, the information is going into your brain as she's listening to the and you are receiving the information and you are giving the information. I said, I'm trying to work, Bella. And she went, it's good to see you too, mum. <laughs> and went out the door and closed the door. I was like, oh, that was the first interaction I had with her. But really it was Lockie and Kate's fault for coming in and out and setting me up for that. Um, but, you know, that, that, was in, that was bystander ignorance. Bella, in that moment, didn't know how awful that Bella would come into her mother and not know what she's going to get that day. 
Now, it's incumbent upon us to take that lesson on board and to be present with the people around us and to look them in the eye and to hold the space for them and to be there for them, be there with them. That's incumbent upon us. But today, as we look at this, we've also been recipients of bystander ignorance, haven't we? We've been in rooms where we've not known what we'd receive. We've been into um, family relationships and family Christmases where we're like, fingers crossed, because that doesn't do anything. We've been the recipient of that as well. And so no wonder when we go into our relationship with God that we also take us and our experience with us and we don't automatically have this all together. Throw this into who Paul's actually talking to, which is a Jewish people and a Gentile people in this passage. And he says to them, you know what? It's great that you got to be God's treasured people. The Jewish race was God's chosen people, his special and treasured people. The Old Testament scripture refers to them as. He said, that's great, but that's actually just a shadow. There's so much more. God doesn't want you to just be his people, his nation. He wants you to be his child, his children. And this is a return to the garden. This is a return to to humanity dwelling with God. And God coming in the cool of the day and his first best thing that he wanted to do, walk with his children in the cool of the garden. That's what he wanted. That was his heart's desire. And so them as his children would walk with him as well. And this is a return to that. But Paul says to them, this is the return and yet you're deciding to go back into slavery. Why? Paul's saying, I don't get it. This is the best gift that you could receive. Why would you go back into slavery? And that's what I'd like us to look at this morning. That's what I want to preach to you about this morning from the Word of God. Why would we go back to slavery? The first reason I believe we'd go back to slavery, rather than dwelling as a child of God, is because as a slave, we know where we stand. As a slave, we know where we stand. Yes, we're subservient. Yes, we're subordinate. Yes, we're lesser than. But at least we know. At least we know where we stand. At least we know what we're going to get because the master will tell us what's what. We know it's us as a slave and the master telling us what, we, what to do. So the master might seem angry today. And the master might seem benevolent today. He might seem generous today. Or the master might seem absent today. But that's okay. That's the master's prerogative because I'm just a slave and he's the master so he can be however he likes. And and that's what we superimpose onto God. Is God, you seem absent today, but that's that's up to you. If that's what you want to do, then that's fine. God, you seem angry today, but that's okay because I'll just serve you and I'll just do whatever it takes. Or God, you seem really loving today. I'll enjoy this while I can. And we, but the problem is, is that we superimpose that onto God solely based on the way we feel. That's our only indicator that we're working with to project feelings onto God. So I'll confess to you that over the last two weeks, I've felt quite dry in my spirit. I felt just a bit like I, I generally wake up like just in love with Jesus. I, that, I'm not bragging. Weird brag if I was, but I just generally wake up just in love and feel so close to God. And I every morning go have my quiet time and literally open the Word of God and catch my breath. I love it so much. But not over the last two weeks. I've just been feeling like I've been going through the motions. And you know what my automatic go-to was? I wonder what I've done. I wonder what I've done to not please God. I wonder why I'm not feeling His closeness anymore. 
That was my go-to. That's what I superimposed onto him. It goes off our feelings. But yet we're called to dwell not on our feelings, but on the truth. And the truth is that God is love. God is love. And if that's the truth, then I also have to consider the truth that he doesn't change. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all things and all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. You see, master will cast a shifting shadow depending on his mood, depending on how he feels. And if we're just slaves, then we're okay with that because that's his prerogative. But a father who gives us good and perfect gifts, who displays his perfection to us by the stars in the heavens, if he is the one who gives us and and provides for us and doesn't change, then he's a person, he's a God, he's a loving God who can be trusted. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, I love that that Luke just read that out and quickly wrote it down to read to you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, as a slave, we know where we stand. But as a child, we know where we sit. As a child, we know where we sit. We know where we're seated. We're seated in heavenly places. As a child, we know where we sit. In a, in a wonderful, healthy, um, emotionally stable father-child relationship, a child, an immature child, can actually crawl up into its daddy's lap. I don't know how you feel about that. People are like, mm, don't really want to think about God like that. I remember there was a word once here and... and uh, the, the person was bringing a, a prophetic word and talking about how God was just, you know, stroking the, um, your face. Like it was like this, God wants to be your daddy. And we got home and Locke went, well, that was weird. <laughs> he was like, I don't want God stroking my face. <laughs> but, but that is, that he's a God who loves us. And as a small child, you know, we, we feel content in his lap. When we're going through trouble, we know where to run because he's our father and we're a child of God. As a child, we know where we're seated. We know where we sit. And if you're a healthy, emotionally stable father-child relationship, then, you know, what often happens is that the, in ancient times is that the, the child would end up in the father's business. When they grew, they'd be in the father's business. And that's what you and I are called to. We're called to be in the father's business. We're called that he says that he will prepare a table for us. So we're called to sit at the table with the Father and to eat with Him. He invites us in to eat and to sup with Him, not just to keep us out there working. That was the, the, what the prodigal son's brother was thinking, was I'm just meant to be out here making my dad happy. But the dad was like, please come in and eat with us and feast with us. As a slave, we know where we stand, but as a child, we know where we sit. Secondly, as a slave, I know what to do. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. As a slave, I know what to do. And just give me all the instructions and I'll just carry them out. And that helps me feel like I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. The problem with this is, is that as we read the Word of God, we don't always immediately understand everything about it. Does, does any of you? Do any of you? Good. <laughs> I was going to swap places. 
Um, but, but we don't always automatically understand. That's why religious systems lend themselves to power and control. Because if you, the people don't automatically understand, then we come to the holy place and to the holy person who has the holy text and we rely on them to tell us what to do. And I know I could be preaching myself out of a job right now, but, but you know what? God does give us leadership to help us, but he also gives us his Holy Spirit to guide us and to take us to where he wants us to go, to read the Bible and to understand what relationship with him looks like. As a slave, we know what to do. So tell me what to do. And this is why religious systems have abused and, and had power and control for so long. But God calls us to so much more than that. You see, Paul, in this instance, when he's talking about observing special days and months, one of the people groups that he's talking to are Gentiles who had worship of pagan gods. He's also talking to the Jews who observed the Sabbath and everything else, but he's, he's talking to both of them. And Paul says to them here, you know, you're observing these days and months and worship practices. And these were the worship practices that they held. Well, back in the day, I'm worshipping the sun god, but it just keeps raining. So clearly, God's angry with me. And I can't get the harvest because it just keeps raining. The sun's not coming out to ripen the wheat. So I need to sacrifice to the sun god. What will I sacrifice? Well, I'll give him, I'll fast today and I'll give him all the food and I'll burn that up and that'll hopefully please the sun god. Well, tomorrow it rains again. And well, that clearly didn't please him. So what will I try this time? And all the way through to then gods like Molech and Chemosh began to demand of the people, made up by men, began to demand of the people their own children. So, well, if you, they, the religious people would say, well, give me a child, sacrifice them, that'll please the God. And, and so there was this very much, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And then God comes along and gives the Mosaic law and the covenant. So what seems like this 613 rules is actually this revolutionary system where I know what to do. I don't have to guess for these pagan gods anymore. I can actually just know what to do. And so it's, it's freeing. But it's still very much about what I do or what I don't do. And yet we can, even though we've been set free from that, we can get into this slavery mindset. I just told you about my quiet time. We're like, God, are you not pleased with me? Am I not worshipping enough? Maybe because we're not singing in church and I'm forgetting to sing in the car because that's you can actually still do that maybe I'm doing something wrong. Why do I feel dry? Okay, is there something I need to do rather than is there something I need to just take hold of and believe? Is there something I need to do? We come up with this tick the box mindset, slavery mindset, and we go back into it. Well, as a slave, I know what to do, but as a child of God, I know what's been done. As a slave, I know what to do, but as a child of God, I know what's been done. And I know that many of you know what's been done. But I want to compare to you uh, this series that I've just been watching called Belgravia. Any Belgravia fans in the house? Thank you, Sal, because there's literally no one else as I look around right now. It's you and me. Oh, no, there's a few late admissions. Um, Andrew, tell Phoebe to watch Belgravia. She'll love it. Um, he's saying no because it's a chick flick and he doesn't want it in the house. It is, and it's a historical period film. So, Daniel and Jules, you'll get right into that. Um, <laughs> Belgravia is this... Um, show about um, ancient, ancient, not ancient, um, historical England and there's all like the titled people like so the lords and the earls and the ladies and the whatnots and, and so they're all like super posh and then there's this one guy in there who has, he's an heir 
um, the, the couple couldn't, the titled couple couldn't have a child. He's the nephew, so he's the heir. He's going to inherit everything. And he's a pill, man. He's awful. He's just this disgusting creature borrowing against his future inheritance all the time. He's, he's, he's a loathsome human. And he is just so entitled. Like he's going to be titled one day, but at the moment he's entitled. And, and he's totally entitled. He totally just wants what he wants and gets what he gets. And, and we're not meant to be like this. When we're children and we know what's being done, we're not meant to be like that. We're not meant to feel entitled. We're meant to be grateful. We're meant to be so heartfeltly grateful uh, because of what's being done. There's this other dude in there who was like the, it's a big backstory, but they thought he was the illegitimate child of the um, old couple's son who died in the French Revolution. Anyway, it's going to get <laughs> too difficult. But anyway, he grows up poor and he grows up with a family who um, pr- pretend that he's theirs. And then he ends up finding out that he is actually the heir to all the fortune. And he's like, what do I do with this? How do I help people with this? And as children, that's what we're supposed to be like. We're never meant to take this grace for granted. We're never meant to be entitled around this grace. And well, I've got grace, so who cares? It's always meant to be, I've got this amazing grace. So who am I going to find to help with this? How am I going to reach out and let other people know about this? That's what we want to be. We want to be those. We don't, and we also don't want to replace one doing system with another. You know, we've got some people who were in Jehovah's Witness for a long time in our church. And essentially, they've just replaced one doing system with another. Knock on so many doors, and that will earn you your place to heaven. And we can do that even in our own lives. We can find, well, I've got to tick this box, this box, and this box, and I'll be fine. I'll get there. We don't want to replace one doing system with another. So what does it look like if we're a child of God and we know what's been done? Well, this is what it looks like. Tim Keller, he quotes the gospel. He says the gospel is this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever did believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let me read that again. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is what Jesus said in John 15, 15. He said, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. Let me read to you from Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like little children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. God's cry of his heart was not that we be slaves, but that we be children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognise that we are God's children because they don't know Him. They don't know Him. But He loves us. Then another version says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. I'm a child of God. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn down, and now I rest in Him. That's the cry of His heart 
from the beginning of time, when Jesus came, Jesus said it. I don't want to call you slaves. I don't want you, I don't want this, you know, big little person relationship. I want to call you friends. I want to share this with you. I want to share this life with you. And that's crazy. We're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever did. Hope that's the cry of his heart. But you know what? It's also the cry of our heart. It's actually the cry of our heart. And maybe it's a cry that you've just decided to let go. It's a cry that you've decided to stifle and put to bed because you're like, well, I'm never actually going to get that relationship. I'm never going to have that receiving love of a father that, that I, life has taught me that that is not going to happen. I can't possibly know God intimately. I can't possibly have the relationship that Dan seems to have with God. I can't possibly have the relationship that Sal seems to have with God. I'm, I'm, I'm not able to. We're just not that intimate. We're not that close. And God says, no, no, that's what I want for you. And, and there's something deep within you that cries out for that as well. There's a story that I read this week that um, a father in Spain had a fight with his son. And uh, Paco, Steph was the son's name, or Paco, Paco. And uh, Paco and his father blued. They had a massive fight. And so Paco fled And they looked for him and they searched for him for days and for weeks, but they couldn't find him. So eventually the father took out an ad and said, Paco, it's your father. All is forgiven. Meet me at 12 on Friday in front of the newspaper shop. And that Friday at 12 o'clock, 300 men called Paco showed up because their heart's cry was relationship with their father as well. They'd been disjointed from their father for too long and they wanted to come back to him and have relationship with him. It's not only the cry of our God's heart, it's the cry of your heart as well. If only you'll be attuned to it. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock and I want to come in and I want to eat with you because I'm your dad. When Nicodemus sat down and talked with Jesus, he asked a question And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Speaking of salvation and baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. You must be born again. We need a new last name. We need a new dad. We need to be part of the family. We need to be a child of God. And maybe today you've experienced that sonship, that daughtership, but you've gone back to your slavery mindset. Well, this morning I'd love to pray for you. Maybe this morning you've never known what it's like to be a child of God and you're wondering, what do I have to do to get into the family? Maybe you're like Nicodemus, what do I have to do And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. You've got to trust in me and allow me to do my work. And as Galatians said, that then I'll send you the Holy Spirit through which you will be able to cry out to God, Abba, Father. So this morning, let's close our eyes as we come to a close. I just want you to block out distractions and I would love you to just turn the spotlight inward and ask yourself... Are you still, if you've decided to follow Jesus already, are you still living in that place of being a child of God with a daddy who loves you, with a father who loves you? Or have you 
swung to some kind of slavery mindset. And I'd love to pray for you this morning. And this morning, if you're someone who's never known what it's like to be a child of God, I would love to pray for you as well. So I'm going to pray and I just ask you to receive these words from the bottom of your heart. Dear loving God, I ask, Lord, this morning that you would infiltrate our thinking, that you'll infiltrate our emotions and that you will make yourself known to us. I pray that we would hear you knocking on the door of our heart, Lord God. I pray that we would open that door and Lord, we would invite you in. Dear Lord Jesus, we trust in what you've done. We say that we believe that you are the Son of God. We believe that you died on the sins for died on the cross for our sins and that you rose again. We believe that you dealt with everything that needed to be dealt with on the cross, Lord. And so now we put our trust and our faith in you and we take you at your word where you said that now we are children of God. And we pray that we might know what that means. We pray that we might know how that affects and how that changes our lives. We pray that we would understand, Lord, not just with our thinking, but with our spirits, Lord, what that means. And that we would grow in You in every way in Jesus' Name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.